Hey, how's it going guys? Uh, just want to let you guys know that today's episode will be uh, featuring Hamza Bones, Bowen, Bonzar. Oh, I butchered it. But Hamza, he's a Moroccan national who uh, made his way uh, to Houston. And today he's going to be sharing with us uh, a lot of stories about uh, Morocco, you know, him growing up in Morocco, how the soccer culture is over there, you know, what he's, his experiences were living in Casablanca in Morocco, one of the biggest cities and one of the best soccer cities in the world, to be honest. Uh, so today he's, he's going to be sharing his story. He's going to be sharing with us uh, everything that happened and everything that went on emotionally and physically here in Houston with the Moroccan national team making history and almost going all the way in the World Cup. So they just need a couple more steps. Uh, but of course, you know, we know the great run that we, they had. And today, uh, Hamza is going to share with us, you know, a little bit about that uh, and a little bit about his story and, you know, how everything kind of came to be and how he ended up in Houston as well. So without further ado, here is the episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Don't forget, follow our social media. On YouTube channel, you can see the actual conversation there. And uh, yeah, thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Cuatro Cuatro Dos. We are kicking off 2023 uh, with something like we have been doing uh, in the past, which is talking to different people around, you know, not only the Houston area, but around the world. And this this chance, we actually have a, uh, a combination of both. Somebody from around the world that, you know, came into the Houston area. And I actually, funny enough, I still haven't even asked him how to pronounce his name. So I'm just going to, you know, butcher it as we go. Uh, but today we have a Moroccan national. You know, we, we saw what Mor Morocco did in the World Cup. And one of the first things that I wanted to do as the new year kicked off was talk to somebody from Morocco that, you know, experienced, you know, the life there, everything there, and what it is to be a soccer fan, you know, from that culture, from that country, from that space and time of life, and, and just kind of get their perspective and, you know, what their country did and what their national team accomplished, you know, they made history, you know, for the country, for the for the continent and in the world. So Hamza, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I don't know if, if I'm not, but you go ahead and correct me. How are you doing, man? Uh, you're doing great. Uh, all, yeah, the pronunciation is perfect. Thank you. Um, all is good. Happy to be on your show. Thank you for having me. How do you say your, your full name? It's Hamza Buonsir. Hansa Bonzier. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. It sounds like, uh, is it, is it, well, obviously your first name, it's probably, is it Arabic? Yeah. Right? It's, it's Moroccan. Or, yeah. 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 But yeah. The, the, the last, the last name sounds a little Frenchy, right? That's, is, that's is what everyone French? says. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Morocco is, um, is a, is a very rich country. And so we're influenced by a lot of, uh, different cultures. And so France is definitely one of them. Yeah. All right. So uh, the the conversation for today are going to be it's going to be kind of split up into like different little sections that, you know, I just kind of want to get to know you in, in those sections. And we're yeah. going to talk about, you know, your your upbringing in Morocco and how that was. I'm very interesting to, to know how that was. Uh, then how did you end up in Houston, basically? And you are a coach nowadays. You know, you coach uh, yeah. soccer and yep. then you know just talk about the World Cup a little bit towards the end. 
Uh, but let's get into it. Let's get into uh, you know, where where are you from? We you know what city? How is Morocco growing up over there? Yeah, absolutely. I was born in uh, Casablanca, Morocco, biggest city in Morocco. Uh, born and raised there. Uh, my family is from Marrakech, uh, but I was born and raised in Casablanca. So I was kind of between Casablanca and Marrakech growing up. Uh, you know, and just uh, lived there all of my childhood. Moved here in the U.S. at age 14. So, you know, I got to be a little bit of a young teenager there as well. Uh, and so, yeah, just, you know, people in Morocco, they breathe, live soccer through and through, you know. And so uh, it's uh, the number one sport in the world. It definitely is the number one sport uh, in Morocco. Uh, you know, and I think the last experience here with the World Cup, we really showed that Morocco is a soccer country. And, you know, even the moms were involved. And as some pictures showed with the players and coach involved, like having their parents on the pitch and stuff. So, you know, it just uh, it was it was very nice growing up in a soccer country and enjoying the beautiful game there. So you actually not only are from Morocco, but you actually follow the Moroccan league. Uh, how do you, first of all, how do you do that from the USA? And, you know, how, you know, because you, you mentioned me before we started about you had your own little yeah. show where you talked about, yeah. you know, your club. Tell me a little bit yeah. about your club and, and Moroccan league uh, as it is. Yeah, so the Moroccan league is, you know, it, it's 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 very meditized around the world. And so you... Uh, I mean, here in the U.S., you have access to the Moroccan channels, too. And so if you're interested in that and so you're able to follow, uh, obviously, the social media outlets and so and so on. And so like you follow your club, that's that's pretty much our first love. Right. And so that's your club. That's what you follow. That's what you do. And so, um, you know, growing up, all what I did is play soccer growing up. And so and I would impatiently wait and the whole week and do well in school the whole week so I can go to the stadium in the weekend and so uh, and go watch my team and so um, you know and when we play away it was you know like a, a road trip to go uh, to go watch the team play whatever they went and so you have that connection with your team and so when I moved here that connection stayed you know it never kind of it never went away and you know you just do the best you can to keep up time difference it's not easy, but you do the best. You sometimes you have to wake up super early to wake up to to watch the games, and so uh, you know in the World Cup there were games at four a.m. I'm sure a lot of people woke up to watch their teams play at four a.m. Yeah, so that's what you do. So tell me about how how's it has it a, a road trip, uh, not a road trip, but a road game in Morocco. Is it is it crazy? Like I'm from Argentina, right? So yeah. people over there, you know take buses and and all this yeah and all that and it gets kind of yeah. crazy and i know the soccer culture in morocco it, it, it's a little wild at times i've seen some videos i've seen some documentaries and y'all get yeah. rowdy how is it over there yeah absolutely i mean it's it, it, look uh the the fans they're they're the 12th man you know and so you, you go you go to support your team you're you're part of the team and so uh and your team performs differently when you're not there when when you know like and so the feeling when whether you're a player or a coach or or just you know just in the stadium, and and when your team scores a goal and forty thousand fans start jumping with joy, you know, and you feel the ground shake beneath you. That you gotta be there to know what that feels like, you know. And so, I I think uh, 
you know, and, and even if your team loses, you know, the, the love is still there. And so you go in, you understand the game, you know that you can win, lose or tie. And so it doesn't matter. You're still there for your team, your family. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, that's what it is. So you, yeah, you, you travel anywhere the team goes, you go. And, uh, you know, in Argentina, when the people go away or like, you know, let's talk a little bit about stadium food, because I'm interested yeah. to know about, you know, what, what do you guys yeah. eat at the stadium or what is what is that like on game day? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, like uh, in the, in the, the Morocco is a, is a Muslim country, you know, so there's not alcohol or anything involved in the stadiums. It's, it's usually just, you know, like soda or whatever and uh, sandwiches, stuff like that. Uh, but to be honest with you, like a lot of people, like, I feel like the culture here in the U S people go for the, you know, for, for the food, for the drinks and whatnot, there you're going on a mission. Like you're going, you're dressed in a uniform color. Like, for example, my team, we dress in red to go to our, to, to support our team. You're going, you, you know, that for 90 minutes, you have a job to do at the end of the final whistle, you leave your voice on the field in the stadium. And so, and you come back and you, you, you go home and next morning you wake up and you have no voice because you're screaming and you're supporting for your team. When other team has the ball, you're whistling, you're, you know, you're trying to apply pressure with your team. So you, you have a job to do. So we're really not, we're not there for the food. We're not there for the <laughs> drinks. We're there to do a job, get three points and get on. That's dope. That's dope. That's, that's good to hear because like you said, you know, here the culture is very different. So you know, a lot, of, yeah. a lot of people just go for the party and, and, you know, not for the, for the actual game, but just to be clear, what team do you support in Morocco? I, su I support with that of Casablanca and, and right, yeah, right. so, so Casablanca has got two, the arguably the two biggest teams in, in Morocco. And so we're rivals. Um, and you know, with that and Raja of Casablanca and, uh, uh, you know, and so depending on who you ask, we that is the best team in in Morocco. Right. And but yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So tell me a little bit about the. You know, you said you moved to to the U.S. when you were fourteen. Tell me a little bit yeah. about that transition. I moved to the U.S. when I was nine, so I was okay. a little bit younger. Uh, but you know, you were already a teenager. You you know, you kind of yeah. understood a lot of things. And and how how yeah. was that like? Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, I think I'm. I like to think that I'm level-headed. So you know, you, when you move to a new culture, a new, a new country, a new language, new everything, uh, as a teenager, it can be a little bit hard. You know, like you're trying to make friends, do everything you can to be considered cool or fit in and stuff like that. And so you know, I mean, I I feel like I was somewhat level-headed at that age and you know i have obviously i have my family to thank for that for being that support system for me uh you know just you know, i felt like my transition was a lot better than what it could have been so no no complaints yeah i look back and i feel like it was great um yeah i got to learn a little bit about the culture understand the uh soccer landscape i was exposed to other sports here baseball making football like you know you, you know so um got to play a little bit in high school a little bit in college a little bit see my pro indoor so you know and got to be around the game a little bit here in in the u.s in houston in particular and yeah no, it was good it was a good experience and uh what part of going a little bit deeper into that what part of uh, houston did you grow up in and how did you manage to find you know football around you yeah yeah you, yeah i when I first moved, I lived for maybe 10 years in Sugarland, okay. and, and um, 
it was it was yeah it was it, it was a little bit of a challenge to find because growing up all my neighborhood kids would go out and play soccer you know and so i really didn't have that when i moved and so like a nobody but one kid played soccer in my neighborhood and um you know and i'll just go out and kick the ball around in my in my front porch you know and at home and so and that kid would actually watch me from his window and would go to and we went to the same high school and so he would go to school and talk about all these <laughs> flicks that i was doing and so and so on and so and it's and funny enough that kid was in the high school team and that was the reason why i joined the high school team because that kid you know was like hey you should definitely play um but yeah eventually i found a group of adults that were playing you know sunday league or stuff like that and local parks and that's how i got first exposed to soccer literally playing with and against adults uh you know as as a teenager and then eventually uh joined the team and whatnot so yeah and how is the how is the moroccan culture how's the moroccan people here in houston is there is there a lot of you guys is there is that a small population is that a big no, population no no it's 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 actually it's massive uh just when i first moved i didn't know anyone so you know just didn't find them when i first moved yeah. but yeah it's a yeah it's massive it's huge and so yeah now it's yeah yeah now now my soccer community grew obviously and so over the years uh and so there are a lot of uh soccer like moroccan soccer players here in houston and yeah uh, it's, uh the community is huge here in houston that's dope and yeah. uh if if a regular person is trying to go you know maybe go to a moroccan restaurant or just trying to find you you know you guys where, where could somebody go to to be like hey i want to go hang out with some moroccans today yeah we honestly we did uh we we had uh quite a few watch parties here in houston obviously during the world cup um you know and it just i mean we're pretty much all over houston uh but you know it's it just unfortunate we don't actually have like a moroccan restaurant here in houston like a moroccan bar or lounge or something you know like yeah. that moroccans go to so usually you know like we kind of have to schedule something as as a community you know and uh go somewhere uh but yeah i mean that's we don't have a, a local spot you know cool cool yeah. and uh moving into you know into this new kind of transition in into your like profession which is which is coaching uh when yeah. when did you made that switch in your head from being like you know i'm I'm a player but now i'm, I'm gonna start coaching i'm gonna start going into this going into that yeah exactly yeah you know to be honest i'm i'm you know i i i feel like soccer coaching chose me instead of me choosing it uh what i mean i i went to school for a completely different thing and you know and soccer was always the passion but coaching was not really in you know in the radar per se um and i was at the time i was playing at a an indoor place quite regularly and the assistant manager there was actually coaching um and as well as being the assistant manager in that facility and you know just one day we were having a conversation about soccer and he was like hey like you, you've got all this soccer knowledge you should coach and i honestly just you know the conversation ended there i was like yeah that would be dope but i that he ended there couple of days later i get an email from his boss saying hey would you be interested in coming in for a coaching evaluation of course i say yes but i have no idea what i'm getting into i go in i they throw me in with 
bunch of random kids and like, give me a topic. Here, one decision for us. I run it. It went great. And after that, uh, right after the session, uh, um, the guy who later on became my mentor in, in my coaching career asked me, when can I start? And so, you know, just literally just happened. I, I fell in love with the kids that I was working with right away. And, you know, that's kind of what drove me into changing career paths. It's, you know, I feel like having a significant why you do something in life is important. And for me, the why was clear from day one. And, you know, you want to be with kids and work with kids and help the kids out uh, as much as we can. And so, uh, you know, like even, you know, when you think about your personal growth as a coach and you want to coach at the highest level, but you also comes at a price you don't get to do it with the kids anymore and so i feel like doing it with the kids gives it a little bit of a a little bit more joy a little bit more for a feeling of fulfillment at least you know and uh where do you where do you see yourself in like you know five ten years from now do you do you see yourself maybe pushing that coaching uh path somewhere else yeah or, yeah i mean yeah look we're, we're always going to be a student of the game you know as they say and so yeah. we uh one of, one of my uh one of my coaching instructors what uh, used to say we stand on the shoulders of the coaches that came before us and so uh and it, basically you, you'll learn from the coaches that came before you and hopefully you pass that along to the coaches that come after you and so on and so obviously like i just want to expose myself to different coaches that may have more experience than me, more knowledge than me, whatever. And so just be around those coaches and put myself in those environments to continue to grow. Um, you know, I've always, at first, I've always thought that I need to learn new tools because I needed to help my kids better and, and teach them better stuff or teach them with better methods and stuff like that. Um, but in real and, and I thought that they were, I was making them better players, but in reality, they were the ones making me a better person and a better coach because they gave me that driving mechanism to go out and seek more knowledge and learn more and, and just grow within myself as well. And so, and I, I always tell my kids or my teams, um, and I, I've coached, uh, see my professional women's team as well. Um, and you know, I, I use, and I, Told them all the time learning is a two-way street i come in here with the mindset to learn and grow just as much as you should as well and so uh that's that's the way i see it it doesn't matter what level you're coaching there's always room for growth you're know, room for more experience so that's just the way soccer is and that's what makes it exciting all right, and, and since we're talking about, you know, we're getting deeper into the soccer conversations i wanted yeah. to go ahead and jump on it into you know I don't know if it's the most important thing or the most, uh, I don't know, important thing. It would be the right term, but it's probably one of the, you know, in the history of, of Moroccan football, probably one of the biggest things that ever happened to you guys, which is Morocco heading to the semifinals. It's is the biggest. Maybe? It's, yeah, it's the, the biggest thing. The biggest. Yep. So let me, let's go before the, before the World Cup started. What, what were you, you know, as a soccer guy, knowledgeable guy in the, in the game, what were you, you know, and knowing your players, what were your expectations yeah. for, for your team? You know, like uh, going into okay. the World Cup. So let me give you a little background uh, on the Moroccan national team before the World Cup. So uh, the Moroccan national team hired uh, Bosnian coach Vahid Halilozic to come in as a head coach 
and we did the previous Africa Cup of Nations with him and and uh, we did the, the entire World Cup qualifiers with him. Uh, Morocco went the whole World Cup qualifiers as uh, undefeated, uh, the whole World Cup qualifiers. Uh, probably scored the most goals in all the World Cup qualifiers around the world. Uh, and uh, Vahid Halilozic had a very interesting personality to him, and a lot of players did not get along with his way of doing things, including our star player, Chelsea player, Hakim Ziyech. And so Hakim Ziyech went as far as retiring internationally. Uh, and so we had a lot of players refusing to come for the national team and whatnot. Um, meanwhile, my hometown club and my childhood love, I would say, Widat Casablanca, we had coach Walid Regragi. Walid Regragi, before he came to Widat Casablanca, he did not have any big club experience or clubs with a lot of fans, a lot of pressure experience. And so it was almost like a gamble when Widat brought him on. and we won the moroccan league we won the african champions league uh we went to the final in the moroccan cup and lost in penalties uh so you know he did excellent with Wida de casablanca and so um at the end of his contract with Wida casablanca he said okay well, I'm, i need some rest i'm not gonna renew and he did all of that within 12 months yeah with casablanca and he just wanted to rest uh, during that period, Morocco, and I'm talking two months before the World Cup, the Moroccan Federation decided to part ways with Vahid Halilozic and bring in Walid Regragi as the head coach. And basically what Walid Regragi does and his, his biggest strength is kind of like he, he brings everyone together, you know, and so, uh, and he really has this family concept when he's working with his teams. And so, everyone becomes part of the family the fans the you know the you know the president of the federation and everybody in the in the moroccan federation uh obviously the staff the training coaches the medical staff you know even the the people responsible for the the kit man you know and people responsible the bus driver like everybody is part of the family everyone is important and of course the players are you know they're they're the most important part of the puzzle and so and then he brings in all the players. He brings in all the stars that had issues in the past, you know, and, and he did a lot of work leading up to the World Cup with Zoom meetings, traveling to see different players and talking to them and explaining to them um, his way of understanding the game and thinking about the game and, and so on and so forth. But he only had three friendly games to prepare for the World Cup. So you're going into the World Cup and you ask me about expectations and I put all this information in front of you. You can't expect much from a coach that just came into a new project uh, and you ha you've got Belgium who finished third place in the previous World Cup, second in the FIFA ranking at the time. Uh, you have Croatia who was finalist in the World Cup and you have Canada who won their uh, CONCACAF uh, uh, qualifiers, top of the group ahead of USA. So you come in into this World Cup and you're looking, okay, like, okay, maybe if we do some good performances here and there, maybe get a result here and there and we'll see what happens. Um, but the mission, the number one mission for this Morocco team going in was to not lose the first game against Croatia. And what that does is you have chances to qualify in the last game with, without 
regardless of what happens in the second game. So you go in against Croatia, finalists of the 2018 World Cup against France, and you go in, okay, okay, and it's a very tactical game. It's a very tactical game. Morocco sets up in a 4-1-4-1, and, you know, and we go in and, okay, we come out with a draw, everybody's happy, but then we watch uh, the game against uh, Belgium, Canada, and we're like, oh, maybe we should have went for a win in that game. And so, like, now conversation starts. And then you go play Belgium, and obviously it's, uh, you know, it, it was uh, it was probably one of the biggest games in Moroccan history. And so, uh, but, you know, funny enough, last time we faced Belgium before the World Cup, I think it was back in 2008, it was in Brussels in Belgian capital, and Morocco beat Belgium 4-1 in that game. Um, and, you know, and so and so kind of like going into the Belgian game, I thought we had some chances, to be honest, and I thought we could beat Belgium. Um, so, yeah, 2-0 against Belgium. Uh, it, was, it was a good win. Uh, and obviously, you go into the third game, and you have a now you have a chance to actually win your group. And so, of course, we go for it. And the idea was to avoid Spain. And so you win your group and Spain doesn't win their group and you end up having Spain in around the 16. Um, and, you know, Morocco wins the group, only one goal conceded. It was an own goal um, against mm -hmm. Canada. And so it was, it was uh, you know, it was, it was a great showing for the group stage. And honestly, in the round of 16 game against Spain, the moment we got to penalties, Every Moroccan soccer fan probably said, whatever happens from this point forward is great. We are content that we got to this point. Um, and obviously, we win penalties. Yassin Bono blocks two uh, penalties. Hakimi with the Panenka at the end to win it and the Penguin dance, uh, you know. And so, uh, and then, you know, the rest was, was history because you qualify for the quarterfinals against Portugal, which Morocco did once in, 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 the, in the history of Morocco back in 86. Um, and so, so it was a very long time since Morocco played in the quarterfinal. And then we'll play against Cristiano Ronaldo's Portugal, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Ruben Neves, the, the whole, you know, uh, orchestra that was dead. And so it was, it was a great game. Morocco comes, comes out with the win 1-0 with in the series header and, and, his leap, I think uh, it was the highest recorded, even higher than Cristiano Ronaldo's, uh, you know, and so, uh, and, and, and we go to, to the semifinal for the first time in Moroccan history. And we meet Croatia, we'll meet Croatia again in a, in a, in a playoff match for, uh, for third place. And I think during that uh, match, I think uh, coach Walid Regragi made some decisions to let players play that haven't played in the whole tournament allow some youngsters to get the World Cup experience. Um, so we didn't play, put forward our best squad for that game, in my opinion. Um, I also don't think Morocco, well, I know for sure Morocco did not plan to play seven games in the World Cup. And so what happened was, uh, and if, if you know this, I skipped the France game. So yeah. what happened was, uh, when we got to the round of 16 and quarterfinals, we had some key players that were suffering knocks and, you know, you know, you play a game every three days, you're going to have some players that need rest here and there. And so we played our best 11 in 
each of those games because for Morocco, this was our final. We will play this game even if we're playing with one leg and we will go through this game and whatever happens next, happens next. Like this is the most important game for us is this game. And so we always kind of put forth our best players, even though if they were not in the best fitness. Um, and so when we got to that France game, we just didn't have the players. Uh, and when you miss multiple players in the same line, so for example, we miss, I think like two or three players from the defensive line. You know, if you like, if you, if you were missing three players, but one of them is a defender, one of them is a midfielder, maybe one of them is an attacker, then you can somewhat patch things up. But if you miss multiple players in the same line, then you're looking to do things differently. And so Morocco set up uh, in a 4-1-4-1 the whole tournament until we got against France. And then against France, we, we go and play a back five for about the first 15 minutes. And our captain, uh, Roman Saez, who played six years in the Premier League with the Wolves, uh you know he, he was playing injured and he was playing even the portugal game when he was injured he picked up an injury against spain and so uh he was playing injured in the first 15 minutes he has to come off and then we go back to a 4-1-4-1 but by then of course morocco conceded an early goal in that game so you know so that's pretty much the story of moroccan world cup mayhem I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a great story, ain't it? Like, you know, you coming in with, I mean, not great expectations given, you know, the background that you gave, you know, all the all the craziness and madness that, that came with having a new coach literally with a couple of friendlies under, under his belt and then just going that far, right? But I wanted to ask you in a personal level, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the whole tactical and, and the game side of side of the of the things, you know, injuries, players, formations, uh, which is I, I love that conversation, to be honest. Like we could go deeper and talk all day about yeah. different formations and stuff like that. Right. But I want to know, how did you feel as a person? You know, like, you know, because me, I watched all the Argentina games and I could tell you, you know, the, the Netherlands games, I, I was extremely nervous. But then going to Croatia on the semifinal, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't at all. Yeah, I, I saw that yeah. as a win. But yeah. how did you, you know, every single game in that step, how about you or maybe your family, uh, you know, your family members or friends that are from Morocco, how did you guys ex have those experiences? Yeah, so uh, so Croatian game, I went in. It was a 4 a.m. game. I watched it um no expectations whatsoever but there was a lot of hope you know it's first game you kick off your world cup um very pleased with the performance although maybe two or three players underperformed and there are moments in the game where like you get off your seat and you're like you're screaming at your screen or whatever <laughs> right and so uh but you 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 know everything you every single moment you watch it with your soul, you know, and you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really like, it's your nation. It's your, you know, like it's, 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 you know, and it, it's, it's far more important than what anything your club could have done when your country plays. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, yeah, you, you, Croatian game, you, I, it was, it was very stressful because it was, um, you know, at any moment you could feel that somebody could steal the points, you know, any moment. Any moment, and it was the more dangerous chances. I think were Croatians, um, Belgium. Watch it with full confidence. 
we got this, you know? And so, um, and then Canada, there was very little stress, if even, because even if we lose that game, we had chances to go through. And so uh, there's that. I think the hardest game for me to watch was Spain. Spain was really hard because, okay, we, 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 we can do something here, right? Like there's a possibility, there's a chance, but we also were playing Spain. It's almost a derby. Like we're like 25, 30 minute cruise between Morocco and Spain. Um, actually, my boss lives in Spain and he says when he looks out his window, he can see Morocco across the Strait of Gibraltar. And so, uh, you know, and so, so it's a derby. We're so close. Um, and Spain hits the post in the 120th minute. And, you know, like your heart stops. Your, your heart stops. Then you go to penalties, and obviously the uh, the way penalties worked out, it was just so crazy. Uh, I uh, I remember I had, I had friends calling me afterwards, and all I could say on the phone was, "Oh my god, I can't believe it! Oh my god, I can't believe it!" That, those were the <laughs> only words that could come out of my mouth um, after that. Uh, then you go to Portugal, and yeah, you would it before Portugal, but as soon as the game starts playing. Uh, you know, obviously, the way Morocco sets up, we were just so solid defensively. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, when you coach, you don't watch the game the same way as other people. You know, I, you know, I, at least I don't watch the game the same way as yeah. I did before. And so, you know, you, you sit in and you're like, you see the goal is about to come. And you, or you know it's just a matter of time. Or you know it's just a matter of time you can see Right, and so I never quite got that feeling that it's just a matter of time we can see. Um, so Portugal watch it with ease. Then with with France, the whole idea going into that French game was to not concede early, to let that game drag on for as long as possible. At least go to halftime nil nil, uh, which obviously didn't happen. Quite the opposite, we we conceded in the, inside the first five minutes. Uh, and yeah, there were some tactical errors that led to that, and I can get into that with you. But at the end of the day, it was very unlucky. True, unlucky bounces, ball, you know, ball lands where it landed and it went in. Fine, we now, for the first time in this World Cup, we are behind and we have to find a way to go up and create chances, and we have to do the build up. And yeah. so, as opposed, we were sitting back very compact, counter-attack, set-piece goals here and there, you know, so, so, and so we played counter-nature per se. Um, and then obviously if you, when you're chasing the game and you're looking to equalize, you can, can see the second behind you. And so that's pretty much what happened. Uh, Croatian game, not that we didn't want to go for that third place, but I feel like the way Morocco set up for that game and given uh, opportunities to some of our younger players, we kind of knew that. And Croatia had been there before, done it before, so they they had the more experienced players to uh, seal the deal. Um, yeah, so that's basically the story of how we lived every game. Did they, were you able to uh, like me for example, right? I found some new emotions that I've never felt in my life before, right? W watching, you know, the sport that I love that I've been watching and playing since I was like four or five years old, right? Did did you experience some of that? You know, maybe on going, you know, beating Portugal one zero or maybe beating Spain. Did you find some like weird emotions or did you feel anything special, like 
oh my god like you said you know that speechless moments like i can't believe we just did this i can't believe yeah it. how did yeah tell me about De that emotion De definitely in the spain game it was great uh you know you, you go to the quarterfinal something you've never done in the last 30 years um or 20 plus years and and, and you've probably never seen it <laughs> i wasn't yeah i, yeah, wasn't, I you, wasn't born yet yes yes you're right and so for the first time i see my country make quarterfinal the world cup and then make the semifinal for the first time in moroccan history um it's 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 actually great i think uh i think it brings a lot of pride about your country like it may, like it helps the, some of the younger generation the younger kids be more proud of where they're from uh it makes more people want to know about that country about the yeah. culture it makes more it drives more interest um and it just brings the community together, you know? And so I don't remember the last time the Moroccan community here in Houston got together to celebrate something, you know? Like mm -hmm. we don't celebrate our national days uh, here in Houston, you know? And so like, you know, like Cinco de Mayo is a huge thing here in the US, but it's, you know, like Moroccan national days, you know, they're, they're not a huge thing here in Houston. So only soccer has that power you know to bring people together you know in regardless of your social class of your gender your age we got everybody comes together um you know i you know i was dancing with a random man in the, in the parking <laughs> lot and later on i found out his uh his my girlfriend's neighbor and I had, she had no idea you know he's, he's, he was moroccan so you know it's it, it, and you know it's a small world i guess but yeah. you know it's it just you know it's it's crazy soccer has that power to bring people together i think mm -hmm. uh you know the fact that the world cup was in an arab country as well um you know kind of you almost needed an arab nation to do something and so um very proud that it's my country that did it um yeah. and so you know it just uh, it unified the whole arab world you know like and, and so and you know like morocco is, is 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 very big on tolerance coexistence and maybe for the first time in history if not first time you know in a long time you had people in palestine and israel celebrating the same thing and so you know like in you know regardless of political conflicts yeah. everybody put everything aside we're gonna celebrate the beautiful game and so we're gonna come together and you know have a big party and so that's what that's you know world cup is great and uh and you know just moments like that i don't think you can describe it in, in just put it into words to describe the magnitude of what you feel your country did you know and so I think it's yeah i think it's great going into that a little bit did i mean i think i know the answer but do you do you feel like you guys were the representatives of maybe the arab nations of you know the arab world and maybe the african continent as well Wait, so 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 morocco is like i said earlier it's a very rich uh country and as far as cultures okay yeah. so we're we're in north africa which is often associated with the middle east because we share the language and we're arabs um within africa because that's the continent and so and we have even berbers in in morocco and so so we definitely felt like we were representing all those uh people and so 
Uh, and so, yeah, we had massive support from African nations rooting for us. Uh, we have massive support from the Arab world. Uh, we're a third world country. We had massive support from all third world countries. Everybody loves an underdog story. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it just, you know, when Greece in the Euros in 2004, they, you know, they, they had their journey, you know, in Portugal. And so uh, everybody loves that. And so, uh, you know, you, in every event, you can pinpoint who is the dark horse. And for a while, everybody thought it might be Japan and so on, you know, and so, uh, but Morocco, you know, Morocco was definitely the dark horse of this tournament. Um, me personally, I love being the underdog going into a game. Uh, it just takes all the pressure away. Uh, you have not much to lose, a whole lot to gain. Uh, when you go in as the favorites, it's the opposite. You have a whole lot to lose and not much to gain. And so yeah. I feel like that definitely helped set the mindset for our team to find the success they did. And uh, let me uh, let me go uh, more into the more team aspect, the the players, specific players, and going back into the soccer part of the of the game. Uh, we know Hakimi, right? One of the the best center backs in the world. Is he? Can we say that he's probably one of the best center backs in the world? If not, he's a the best. He's a white back. He's a white back. Uh, That's yes. what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. No. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Ashraf Hakimi is um. So he's a he's a product of Real Madrid Academy. Um, and he started there and he played top clubs his entire career. Lobet, Real Madrid, Dortmund, Inter, now PSG. Um, definitely in the conversation, top five in the world. Uh, depending on who you ask, they might put him as first. Um, I don't know many white backs that are better than him at the moment. I don't know many full backs, right back or left back, that are better than him in the moment. Um, and so his age still allows him to you know, to just be as explosive as he can be. Um, yeah, I, and I don't think we saw the best version of him in the World Cup because he was playing through an injury. And so a lot of games he came off after 60 minutes or so. Um, mm. He, yeah, rarely played full 90. Um, and I, I think uh, I think we could have seen more from Hakimi. Uh, but yeah, definitely one of the best in the world. Tell me about the the World Cup of the of the goalkeeper Bono. Just you know, yeah, Bono. So being a beast. enough. So you know, so Bono. Uh, okay, I'm gonna give you a little history about Bono. Bono actually Go is a product it. is a product of my club with that Casablanca, and so uh, you know he's uh, he was born he's, he was born in Canada actually. Uh, you know, he's uh, raised in Morocco and played for with that uh, Casablanca in in. Uh, in the youth academy and the youth ranks. Um, in 2011, we dad was competing in the African Champions League, and right before the final, our starting goalkeeper got injured uh, in training, and Bono had to step up and play in the African Champions League final. Uh, we dad lost that game uh, in Tunisia 1 0, uh, and it was basically the start of Bono uh, back in 2011. Uh, then he he was transferred to Atletico Madrid B team in uh, Spain and played a little bit in La Segunda, the second division in, in Spain, um, and you know just fought for his place. And he was okay with signing for clubs where he was the second goalie at signs, 
but he always fought for his starting spot and worked hard to uh, to get there. Uh, last World Cup in 2018, he was the backup goalie for Morocco and Mounier was the starting goalie. Now Bono is the starting goalie and Mounier is on the bench. And so Bono was always up for the challenge, you know, so, you know, and he was not afraid to challenge for the spot on the team. And he did that in the national team. And I think he had, um, a great World Cup. Uh, and obviously, he had the penalty saves against Spain. He was decisive in many games. Um, and I think his best moment in the World Cup that a lot of people probably went unnoticed, in my opinion, is his bravest moment in this World Cup journey was against Belgium. Bono stood in the with, uh, with the team for the national anthem and felt unwell. And between national anthem and the kickoff, Munir starts the game against Belgium and Bono makes the call and says, well, he talks to the refs and, uh, and asks, hey, if we make a change now, will we lose a sub? And once he got the answer, then he went to the coach and to the staff and says, hey, I'm not ready. I feel dizzy. I feel unwell. I can't start. I don't want to start this game and then waste a sub five, 10 minutes, 20 minutes into the game. And so I thought, you know, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of bravery to go and tell your coach and be honest and be straightforward and say, yeah. we've got one minute before kickoff, but I'm not ready. Like I've, we've tried to do everything I can to make me ready for this game, but I'm not ready to play. And I thought Munir came on, he had a great game. He had a few magnificent saves. He kept a clean sheet and Bono was back in the, in the net against Canada and for the rest of the World Cup. But, you know, I, it just speaks highly of the family uh, mentality that this team had and hopefully will continue to have. And I thought that was his biggest moment in the World Cup. And uh, tell me, well, we know a bunch of names that play all over the world. I mean, Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, you know, that play in this Moroccan national team. What are some names that maybe stood out to you? And what are some names that maybe we can look into the future, you know, going out? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, Morocco had a few young players that played in the in the World Cup. Um, uh, Onahi, uh, he was our center mid. I think uh, Luis Enrique after the game came out and he was asking who that player was. Um, and obviously, a lot of and you know, he just covered a lot of ground. Played great. Uh, uh, played great football throughout the whole uh, World Cup. Maybe minus the first game. Uh, but he plays for Andre, which is a mid-table team in, in the French League, uh, you know, and so th there might be a big contract coming up for him. The other one is Amrabat, who is bossing it at Fiorentina right now, and he bossed it in the World Cup. He was our center defensive mid, and, you know, he probably averaged the highest miles covered in, in a game. Uh, you know, I think he did 15 kilometers, almost 15 kilometers each game, which is unheard of. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And, and the, the surprise though, which wasn't much of a surprise for me is our left back, uh, or our second left back, Yaya Atiyatullah, who, who plays for Widat Casablanca currently, which, you know, it was only one of three players that came from the from the Moroccan league into this national team. All three of them come from with that Casablanca, the third goalkeeper, the left back, and, uh, and our backup uh, center defensive mid. 
but Yaya Atiatla came in from Mizrawi, who plays in Bayern Munich, and performed better than Mizrawi. And, you know, like uh, my friends, my, uh, you know, just my environment, they were all questioning why does Mizrawi play for Bayern and not this guy, right? And so, <laughs> right. And so you know, it was just a good a little surprise that a lot of people don't know who he is. Of course, I do because he plays for my team and, you know, and I'm familiar, but nobody ever heard of this guy and he comes off in the World Cup in the biggest stage and performs really well. Um, and he was, little, he was decisive. He assisted the, against, uh, the goal against Portugal. It was off his cross. Uh, the, I think the first goal against uh, Belgium was a set piece. He was the one that got the foul. Uh, you know, from a, a ball that was, you know, he was facing the, he was facing the touchline. It was a dead ball. It was no, no danger at all, but he was smart enough to provoke a foul and get one uh, when they scoring from that. And so, so we, I thought he was very decisive. I thought he was a surprise. So I back up left back who played significant minutes. Uh, you know, I thought he was, uh, I thought he was the surprise of the World Cup. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, there you go. Some names. If you're listening, yeah. some names that you can you'll probably see in in the biggest teams uh, coming up here and in, in the future. Uh, and then just to kind of finish it off, um, can we say that maybe Morocco? I mean, Morocco now in February has the the Club World Cup, right? Yeah. And uh, so there's going to be more nor- notoriety coming into the country. And obviously, you guys are you know you guys have been a soccer country, but now in the world stage, I think now people are starting to see Morocco as more of a soccer nation as the time kind of goes by. Yeah. Is it, can we say that maybe Morocco should be, you know, in that, in the conversations of one of the top countries, soccer countries in the world, maybe? Uh, well, we're definitely fourth right now because <laughs> we're, we, right? Finished, uh, we finished fourth in the world cup with 11th in the FIFA ranking. We were before the world cup, we were 22nd in the FIFA ranking. So we're top 11. And so we're, you know, also the big jump within a month competition. Right. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I mean, currently we can talk about it. I think it takes a little bit more than that, than one competition performance to be in that conversation. I think consistency is important. I think Morocco needs to be a little bit more consistent with the results. And uh, since you, you know, there's Africa Cup of Nation coming up as well. And so I think uh, that would be a big test for Morocco. We go on as favorites now. There is no more hiding. We're not going to surprise anyone. Uh, the teams that we're going to face, they're going to do the same thing we did to other teams in the World Cup. They're going to sit back and counter. And Morocco has to be the creative team that builds the play up and try to create chances. So I think that's more of a test than the Club World Cup. I think the Club World Cup is more a test for Morocco from an organizational uh, point of view. Are we capable enough to uh, organize big events? This will be the third Club World Cup Morocco uh, organizes. We organized one back in 2013. Uh, My favorite club's rivals, Raja Casablanca, were playing. They actually went to the final and played in the final against Bayern Munich and lost, which was very... They also very much overachieved in that uh, World Cup. We uh, hosted it again in 2014, and this is the third time we'll host it. My club will play in it, and so because we won the Champions League, so we qualify for that. Um, and so we will be playing, and hopefully my team can do well. 
my team is not doing too hot at the moment. They just lost clean health uh, this past weekend. We're second in the league table. Uh, we were tied for first place, but we lost to the team we were tied against uh, this past weekend. So, you know, we're not doing too hot at the moment. Um, but hopefully we can get our act together and do well in the, in the Club World Cup coming up. Uh, but just, you know, since we're talking about Morocco's World Cup and I talked earlier about the family concept, you know, I think one of the one of the most impactful things we saw in this Moroccan journey is that um, uh, all these players, you know, are, that the majority of them, they play in Europe, but that's, uh, you know, they, their parents mi migrated at some point to Europe and sacrificed for them. And so, you know, you're from Argentina and so and I'm from Morocco and we both live abroad and you you can maybe relate. And so, uh, you know, so these these players and the Moroccan Federation along with the coaching staff, uh, they made a decision to bring the families of the players along to the World Cup, the parents, the wives, the kids. And so all these players, they showed what Morocco is about and what the culture is. And, you know, and, and so like uh, the place of the woman in the, you know, in, in the Moroccan society, the place of the mother, of the wife. And so uh, we had, I think Bufal was after one of the games, he had his mom on the field with him and they were dancing, you know, and so, uh, so it was definitely, you know, like I, I thought that was more of a moving image to show what Morocco is about, who we are as people. And so, uh, you know, and so the family environment that we all grow up in and what and how important it is to us. And so when we have big achievements, those are moments we want to share with our families. And I thought uh, that's something that really shows who Moroccans are and what Moroccans are about. And so it kind of reminded us as Moroccans, but it also showed the world a, a great, uh, I think, a great image of what Morocco is about. Awesome. Hey, man, I mean, I think we can put a little bow on this, uh, you know, with that great kind of, you know, summarize of what Morocco is and what, you know, your culture is like. Uh, once again, Hamza, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for, you know, showing myself and, and you know, the listeners, you know, what, what your, your country is about, what your culture is about. And, and how you guys are a soccer culture as well, right? As as we can see in the results. Um, but can you let us know where uh, where the people can find you? You know, so they can go follow you and maybe keep up with with your work as well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So uh, uh, my my Instagram is Hamza Buansir. It's my first and last name, and you know, so uh, maybe we can leave it in the description somewhere. And so, um, and absolutely, uh, had fun talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Hopefully uh, your listeners can enjoy the show. And um, yeah, congratulations to Messi and Argentina. And I think the ghost conversation <laughs> was put to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right, exactly. But other than that, we'll just uh, leave those conversations for another time. We'll talk to more <laughs> Argentina later. But thank you again. And thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. Uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode of Cuatro Cuatro Dos. Don't forget. Go follow Cuatro Cuatro Dos YouTube channel and the podcast, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. See you.